0: I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been podcasting now since October of last year. I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to reach out to those of you who might already be in therapy and very interested in psychological issues, but also to those who might be searching, who might never have talked to a therapist and who might be curious about what someone like me would have to say. In fact, some of you have let me know in your reviews that you found self-work because you were looking for a podcast on anxiety or depression, something that you're newly dealing with. And so I'm so glad that all of you are here. I want to say at the beginning of this podcast today that you can always reach out to me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I will answer your questions, and I love getting to know who you are, what you're dealing with, and really, who is my audience? I love to get suggestions from you about what you like to hear about as well. So please write me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. Today, we're going to be talking about empty nest. Now, I'm six years out of experiencing empty nest, so I'm an old hand at handling it, but I'll mention some of my experiences along the way. Episode 24, which was quite a while ago, discussed how to avoid empty nest in general by what I termed relishing each stage of childhood, but today we'll focus on what to do if you're experiencing it or if you're scared of experiencing it, which many parents tell me they do fear. There's one conceptual idea that I think can be pretty vital, and it's important to understand that empty nest is not depression, but it can lead to actual clinical depression, and that's important to recognize. I'm going to offer five very practical, common sense things, my what you can do about it, which is what I talk about all the time. These are things you can do in the present to help yourself cope. The listener email today is short and sweet. It's a question about the difference between my term perfectly hidden depression, which is depression that is all wrapped up with perfectionism, and what's termed obsessive compulsive personality disorder, or OCPD. These are folks that are completely immersed in the details of things and make others do things the way they do them, because there's only one way according to their reality, Most of the time, these people don't come into therapy. It's people who are trying to love them and be in their lives that do, because they can be pretty difficult. So we'll talk about the difference between perfectly hidden depression and obsessive compulsive personality disorder. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're afraid of experiencing emptiness, whether you're experiencing it, or whether it's way past you, I hope that this episode will be helpful to you just in your relationship with your child. This week I'd forgotten that it was the beginning of the school year where I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I was headed to work in a big hurry. Much to my dismay at first, and then my actual delight, I was stuck in a long line of cars in front of an elementary school. Marching along the street were a colorful parade of entire families, which would never occur when I was a kid, so it was great to see. They were all celebrating going back to school. Dads were carrying tousled toddlers on their shoulders, and moms were pushing baby carriages. The younger kids were clasping the hands of their older brothers and sisters. They were dressed in not-a-spot-on-them outfits. You could tell they were newly bought. Brightly colored backpacks were tightly fit into their little bodies. Some were smiling. Some were staring down at their feet, perhaps overwhelmed. What looked like the occasional fifth grader, who was far too mature for all of this, was walking about three feet behind the families, (laughs) certainly not close to the parent. But it was really a wonderful picture and took me back quite a few years. Now I well remember all the hellos and goodbyes of each year my son went to college, and now the ones that are part of him living 1,500 miles away, especially in his sophomore year, He'd been home only two days between his summer job and college. We sort of wanted to go along with him and maybe fly back from Nashville, but he said, no, there'd be guys to help him unload, so he didn't need us along for the ride. That was the same year that at Christmas he announced that he wasn't coming home for spring break, so it was a banner year for me as a mom. But certainly, letting go of your child can be like living in a world that is familiar and totally unfamiliar all at the same time. There were a lot of tears as he would drive away, or we would drive away from him. Now, a few years of practice certainly makes a difference. But as a parent, you love your kid. You love watching them grow. You love watching them change. And then you have this transition to letting go of them. You know, my grandparents had a gorgeous old grandfather clock I love to listen to it and sort of anticipate its very deep sound, tick-tock, tick-tock. Many of you have actually probably never heard a grandfather clock. They're not around as much as they used to be. It was an inevitable, very tangible reflection of time passing. And yet it was also comforting to know that each tick was going to come. It was very consistent. It was regular. In many ways, that's a helpful memory for me now because time does keep passing with every tick of the clock with every day with every month feelings that you believe are so painful like empty nest will change situations constantly evolve and as my dad used to say to me all you can count on is change as a therapist i watch people go through changes all the time some have been changes they chose and purposely created Others have been changes caused by trauma or loss that they had to sort of trudge their way through and somehow try to keep going. So how does this pertain to empty nest, letting go of your child? I think it's a conceptual change you have to make, not to view your child's growing up and out as loss, but as change, as transition, yes, It is the end of a certain type of parenting, a very hands-on way of parenting, but you're still his or her parent. Again, it's a transition. Loss is when something is gone forever. Certainly, I've treated people whose feelings of emptiness have evolved into depression. If the tears don't stop, for example, or if you can't get out of bed, like any form of grief... That can happen if your painful feelings entrench themselves and your thinking grows cloudy or negative. You're focusing on what is no longer rather than what is. Because depression is innately a focus on the past rather than on a more hopeful present. So you have to be careful and watch for that. I'm going to identify some things in a few minutes that will help you do that. But if it does, Be honest with yourself, say, gosh, I've really let this feeling get away from me, and it's beginning to ruin my entire life or to sabotage my happiness. You can go to your medical doctor or to a therapist for help with that. Now, many parents are going through horrible problems with their kids because they're refusing to become adults, either through drug addiction or staying very immature in some other way. So people whose children are leaving successfully are lucky in many ways But everything has its ups and downs. You know, when I was a kid, I was kind of a sickly kid. I had some things wrong with me and I had to go to doctors a lot. So I spent a lot of time with my mom in waiting rooms and I would tell her it's so boring. I hate waiting. And she used to say to me, there are no boring things, only boring people. I've never forgotten that. So maybe empty nest is kind of the same way. Empty nest is only empty if you make it that way. So what do you do? First of all, you have to think of that as a transition like we talked before. That's very important. And to realize that your job of parenting isn't over, it's just changing. But there are five other things that are more practical, pragmatic than that. And as many of you know, if you've listened, I like to talk about what you can do about it. So the first one is, find something you love as much as you loved parenting. Now, this can be kind of thought-provoking because many of our lives have just been totally consumed by parenting, right? And in some ways, probably those who suffer most keenly from empty nest are those that did just that. You were there all the time. So searching for and finding some other passion that might feel worthy of that kind of energy, it's difficult. So how do you find that passion? When I think about that question, I realize that parenting developed a part of me that would have lain dormant if I had not had that opportunity. I really didn't want kids for many, many years. But when I met my now husband of almost 28 years, I decided, wow, now this man and I might be able to do a decent job. And I wanted at least one child with him. But that part of me was not really active until I met my husband. So perhaps you can find another part of yourself to be developed. Another aspect of yourself that's sort of lying asleep waiting to be discovered. It could be your spiritual self, your creative self, maybe your physical self. Think about a part of you that you'd really love to develop. Now maybe it's linked to something you wanted to do years ago, and you think of it and you go, oh, now I'm too old for that. Yes, certainly if you wanted to be Miss America or Mr. Universe or something, you know, you're not going to do that. But there's some form of almost every activity that can be enjoyed at any age, but you have to look for it. And the cool thing about it is that when you find it, that you'll have fresh things in your life to talk about with your now growing adult child, and they can be as interested in your growth as you are in theirs. The second thing is to nurture and deepen your primary relationship. Now is definitely the time to get out that bucket list with your partner. You can talk about goals you have together, things for the two of you to share that you can both work on or that'll bring you closer. And if you don't have a partner, you can do the same thing with friends or family members. There are hundreds of ideas. You can start a garden, you can travel, you can volunteer, pick an organization that both of you are interested in, fix up a room in your home, learn to dance. Of course, if your relationship has suffered through the years, either because you didn't pay enough attention to it or it's been difficult, you can get out those emotional hurts that are keeping you stuck in the past and talk about them. I've seen many a couple who have come in after their child has left home and said, wow, we just didn't realize how we let our relationship go and how do we grow back together? It's possible. It takes work, but it's possible. I like this next one, especially make new friends while honoring the old, you know, your child's life is moving on. They're making new friends. They're going new places. After my son left, I got to know a neighbor who had literally lived three houses down from me for years. I'd seen her walking, but I'd never taken the time to stop and say, hey, she's now one of my best friends. You can join or form a book club, whatever it is that will keep you having a sense of being invigorated and energetic. You want to honor the friends that have been there for you But you also want to see who else is in the world that I'd be interested in getting to know. Reach out. Number four is a little bit more conceptual again, but I think it's also pretty common sense. You have to get comfortable with your not knowing. Your kids are changing. There's stuff that you have to ask now that you just knew before. I remember, I may have told this story, but I remember the first time this was very evident to me, and it's a silly little thing, really. I was fixing salads for all of us when my son Rob was home, and I was avoiding putting tomatoes on his because he doesn't like tomatoes, right? And he said, Mom, what are you doing? And I said, you don't like tomatoes. He said, oh, Mom, I love tomatoes. In fact, he didn't even remember the time that he didn't like tomatoes and kind of argued with me that I I was not remembering correctly. But if you see this from your kid's perspective, again, your 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid, our children are often very proud to tell us how they've changed, that they've been independent and that they've learned things away from us. In fact, they're doing pretty well without us. They've even mastered tomatoes. At their core, we do know our children. But as they're changing, they are going to be things that we'll enjoy hearing from them that will be new aspects of their personalities and their character. And they will turn to us when they need us. The last idea is just for fun. Play more music. <laughs> You know, I used to always wonder why my dad had music on when I came home. In fact, it was on constantly if he was home. But now I know. It was to fill up the quiet. Your kid leaves and suddenly the house is unearthly quiet. Many of us turn on the TV instead of music and we forget. You know, when I was younger, I used to listen to music all the time. Well, you can pick that habit back up. And your house will be filled with music that you love to hear and enjoy. I hope these ideas have helped. They helped me. So now my 24-year-old son calls, and I enjoy hearing about what he's doing. I tell him about what I'm doing. Of course, I have to turn the music down when the phone (laughs) rings. But you can do it. You can make it. And if you're right in the middle of parenting your children... Listen to episode 24 as it talks about how to relish and let go as you go. That always helps as well. The listener email is short and sweet today. He says, I have a diagnosis of OCPD, that's obsessive compulsive personality disorder, along with major depression and social anxiety. I scored very high on your questionnaire. So how do obsessive-compulsive personality disorder and perfectly hidden depression differ? Thank you. I'm not going to go into a lengthy description of what obsessive-compulsive personality disorder is, but again, it's people who are very detailed and in many ways perfectionistic, but they are very demanding of others that they follow their perfectionism that they do things that they tell them to do and not only to do it, but how to do it. I remember working with a guy who was a really wonderful father and a very loving father, but he had OCPD and his parents were over and they were all sitting out on the patio and his dad got up and this chair squeaked on the patio and his little four-year-old son said, oh, grandpa, don't move the chair like that. Don't move the chair like that. And he realized that he was adopting the same sort of anxiety and rigid attention to order that he was suffering from. It was only then that he came in for my help and actually got on some medication. So if you're interested in it, you can look up obsessive compulsive personality disorder. But I said, hello, this is a very good question. Please remember first that perfectly hidden depression isn't a mental health diagnosis. The way I think of it. PhD is a syndrome, and actually perfectionism can accompany several mental illnesses or personality disorders. I review the characteristics of OCPD, however, and want to stress that someone with perfectly hidden depression isn't likely to get lost in the details, but gets things accomplished. People with OCPD sometimes get so wrapped up in the details of doing something that they don't actually get it done because they're not doing it right and they have to do it over Friendships aren't excluded like they are in OCPD. There's not necessarily a rigid moral or ethical code that they follow, and it isn't characterized, PhD isn't characterized, by not being able to throw out worthless objects. All these things are symptoms of OCPD. Plus, people with PhD get along very well with other people. Now, they may be hiding a bit of themselves, but that doesn't mean that they are not social, money isn't hoarded. Rather, she or he is probably seen as quite generous, giving of their time and resources to others. So taking the questionnaire might render a high score for someone with OCPD, but not the other way around, meaning I don't find perfectly hidden depression in OCPD. You might find OCPD in perfectly hidden depression, if that makes any sense at all. In fact, I'm writing a book on Perfectly Hidden Depression right now that will be published by New Harbinger in October of 2019, and I will have a specific chapter on what Perfectly Hidden Depression is not. So thanks for this question, and I hope my answer is helpful. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here with me at Self Work. And thank you so much to those of you who left ratings and reviews. This month, I got some wonderful ones. I'm a young therapist in my first job. I love this podcast and find it helpful personally and professionally. Oh, that's great. Just listening helps me remember to do my own work in my spare time to be more effective with my clients. Boy, is that ever an important message. And I'm so glad that it's helpful to you. Another says, Dr. Margaret has a knack for keeping her finger on the pulse of what's going on in society as far as mental health issues. I found her because I was searching for relief with my own anxiety and depression. There she was, and every podcast has had something of value in it to help me in my own self-work. I'm so glad. Again, you're one of those people that was looking, and I'm glad you found me. I notice that a lot of the podcasts that iTunes lists on depression are funny ones. People stand up comics, and that's all great and fine. We all need to laugh. I love to laugh. But I'm hoping that self-work reaches out to you in a different way. Anne says that she's learning a great deal. Please keep up the great work in helping so many people understand themselves and others in this complex world. What a great thought. And you know, that's motivation for me, Anne, so thank you for your review. And I invite more of you to review. Again, it helps me understand who you are, why you're listening, and what you want to hear about. Ratings are also fantastic. So thank you for those as well. You can subscribe where you listen, or you can come over to my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, and subscribe there, where you'll receive a weekly newsletter, and that's it, I promise. With this podcast and my weekly blog post, so that might be helpful to you. Plus, you'd get a free ebook of seven commandments of good therapy. I want to invite all of you as well to my new Facebook group. It's a closed group, so only people who are in the group will see comments. And I have about two hundred sixty members right now. So, and some of which never comment, never say anything; they just read or they watch videos that I put on there but we have a pretty little active group of people who are being supportive and helpful to one another. That is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We've got people from all over the world, mostly women, but men are also welcome. You can find me on Instagram where I post a lot of more personal stuff and Pinterest All of that is drmargaretrutherford.com. Again, thank you so much for being here. I hope this episode, episode 89, was helpful to you. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.